Hey, folks, it's a Sunday. That means it's time to jump into the Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. Reminder, you actually have to be a subscriber over at dailywireplus.com in order to have your question answered in the mailbag. Sherry says, I've heard the trans community referred to as a protected people. What does that mean? I think one of the justices at the Supreme Court, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson or Justice Sonia Sotomayor, maybe referred to them that way in a recent ruling. Well, that'd be Sotomayor. She wrote today, the court for the first time in its history grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Well, what, what protected class means is it's a legal definition. So presumably, she means here that in Colorado, anti-discrimination law covers classes of people. You are not allowed to discriminate against people on the basis of race. You can't. So race is a category. It's a protected class. You're not allowed to do it on the basis of sex. Sex is a protected class. In Colorado, it says sexual orientation. So sexual orientation is a protected class. So being gay or being a lesbian or being a bisexual is now a protected class. That's what it means. Now, the, the real question there in, in that particular case is whether the protected class was being discriminated against or whether it was the activity of the protected class that was being discriminated against. So for example, you, it is perfectly within your rights to say at your restaurant, no one is allowed to play rap music at this restaurant. Is that attacking black people? Not really, right? And so the, the question in this particular case in 303 Creative is what it was called, was whether if a gay couple comes in and demands that you do something for their gay wedding, is that the same thing as a gay couple coming in and just ordering a cake or ordering a pizza or something? And the answer, as the court says, is no. There's a difference between the activity and between the actual protected class. Now, if it were up to me, I'm not a fan of anti-discrimination law generally. I think it violates freedom of association. I think it's constitutionally questionable on its face. I think the idea that the government has the capacity to force you into some sort of a personal or business relationship with somebody you don't want to be involved with, I think that's wrong. With all of its downsides, and I'm not going to pretend there are no downsides to that, racism is wrong. Also, I don't think the government has the capacity to force you to stop saying the N-word. The N-word is wrong and bad, and people shouldn't say it. And also, the government has no capacity to punish you for doing so. I feel the same thing about freedom of association. Trey says, Hey, Ben, long-time listener, love your willingness to ask hard questions and then analyze them. If given the chance to moderate a presidential debate, whether that be for the Republican primaries or for the major candidates for the general election, would you accept the opportunity? Also, what questions would you ask of the candidates either as a whole or individually? Uh, I definitely think seriously about it. As far as what I would ask of the candidates, uh, you know, as, on, as a whole, I would ask, you know, what are your, you know, three, your, your three top priorities for preventing the the infiltration of federal government bureaucratic institutions by the left, sort of the deep state question. How do you plan on to? So the, when I ask questions individually, that's mostly how it'd be tailored. So for example, I'd be asking Donald Trump a couple of questions. One, you're the front runner right now. You say that you got the last election stolen from you. How do you plan to prevent this next time? What are your active plans? What are the active things you are doing to stop that from happening if, as you say, the election was stolen? Because I don't know that Trump has an answer to that. The other question I'd, I'd ask is, what is your specific proposal for ridding the federal government of the people who are existing inside bureaucratic institutions who are oriented against you to harm you? How do you plan to actually prevent the things that happened last time from happening again if you become president of the United States again? The question for Ron DeSantis would be, what do you think is the proper role of federal governmental power in regulating life as opposed to state power? In, in, in other words, when it comes to drag queen story hour, is that something that you're going to try to ban on a federal level or is that something that needs to be left up to the state-by-state -state basis? I think it's an interesting question because he's used state power in, I think, constitutional ways at the state of Florida level, but you start to get into some more dicey areas when you're talking about the federal governmental level. I'd be asking, you know, other candidates like Nikki Haley, probably, what is your foreign policy prescription on Ukraine? What does winning look like? 
What is the actual definition of winning? And how long does America's commitment there have to last? There are personalized questions you could ask each one of these candidates. Ben asks, hey, Ben, I was wondering if you could explain the role of the chief justice and how Roberts became the chief justice. Did he merely replace the previous chief justice? I was too young to remember him getting appointed. I would imagine the media and public make a bigger deal or outcry when the chief justice is appointed. Love the show. It's been my staple since Russia's passing. You've carried the conservative movement to the next generation. I really appreciate the question. Chief Justice Roberts is, um, you know, a person who I opposed when he was first appointed because I was was seriously uh, doubtful about his prior record. It turns out that those doubts were well-founded. The chief justice of the Supreme Court is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. That is, that is the way that it works. So it's not like the other justices vote on who the chief justice is. Otherwise, every time there is a change in the constituency of the judiciary, the chief justice would change. That's not how it works. So he filled Rehnquist's slot and, uh, and thus he was appointed to the position of chief justice. Grandin says, I'm a, 2020, I'm a 22-year-old male the last four generations of my family have all been in the military. After extensive consideration, I can't bring myself to join because of the political insanity currently embedded within it. I have the utmost respect for anyone who does enlist, but personally, I cannot rectify my feelings toward wanting to join and serve my country and my feelings toward the current values held within the upper ranks of the military. I don't think it can be solved simply by a Republican president. The issues are much more ingrained than that. I'd like to know what you think the solution to this could be. Well, I mean, the army does work for the president of the United States as part of the executive branch. And so wiping out the top level of leadership, destroying DEI inside the military changing rules of engagement, right? All that stuff can be done by a Republican president. There's no other way to do it. It's not congressionally made policy. All of that is largely executive policy rooted. So there's no reason why I couldn't change with a Republican president, but they'd have to put some focus on it. Yolanda says, hey, Ben, what do you think about paid maternity leave after the birth of a child? I'm an expat living in Portugal, very, very socialist, and just had a baby. I think the overall benefit to society of having kids is worth the state's initial investment of giving working mothers a decent amount of time off in the beginning of a child's life. Seeing as breastfeeding should be exclusive for the first six months, that'd be the minimum I would think is reasonable. In Portugal, we have up to nine months off of paid family leave. And other European countries have even longer. It's all paid through social security, so no burden on the employer to foot the bill. This seems to me like a good use of taxpayer money as opposed to all the other stupid things they use our taxes for. Thanks for reading. Big fan for years. Got my subscription when I found out I was pregnant to support the kids' content. Can't wait. So my, my general belief when it comes to maternity leave is that you know, giving benefits to families for having kids is something I think that is probably a, a good policy decision. Hungary has been doing it, for example. The state does have an interest in ensuring that the next generation is born, for sure. As far as paid maternity leave, I'm not sure that that's actually a way to do it. I don't think you should have to have a job, in other words, to get a check cut from the government for the kid. So let's say that you are a mother who's a work-at-home mom, and you had kid number two. Do you not get the money? You only get the money if you are working, and then you take time away from the workplace? The problem I have with the idea of getting paid for taking time away from the workplace is then it puts pressure on private employers to do the same in order to presumably compete with the public system. And it also then leads to discrimination lawsuits against private employers. So here's my viewpoint. It is not the job of employers to better your personal life unless they feel the necessity to do so in order to retain you as an employee. So I'm not against paid maternity leave if an employer wants to provide it. I just don't think that it should be government mandated. As far as the idea of the government providing benefits for childbearing and childrearing, I think that'd be a a good thing. I think that we're obviously in need of some incentive structure here, even though I think the real incentive when it comes to having kids is uh, largely non-financial. Although there are some good studies that show that a lot of families are not having kids because of marginal issues. Like, for example, can I afford a child seat in the car? Hiram says, good morning, Ben. I've been a fan of yours and Matt's shows for about two years now. My uncle's company has invited for them to work in Georgia where I'll be designing car parts. However, I need an engineering degree before I start. My question is, how would you go about picking out a college ideal for my major? I know where my values are at. I don't mind playing along with the teacher's agenda for extra credit, but I would still like to find a college with less political interference in the classroom if possible. Any and all insight is appreciated. Thanks, Ben. So first of all, the good news is you're in Georgia. 
Some of the schools in Georgia are less left-wing than others of the schools in, uh, in, in Georgia. Somebody on the right really should put together some sort of ranking of conservatism of universities. I know that there's sort of this idea that all universities are identical and monolithic, but that's not actually true. There's some universities, particularly small universities, that are more conservative in orientation. I'm not sure about the ones in Georgia, but I will say that the ones that are very tech-focused, and there are some very good ones uh, in Georgia, Georgia uh, has, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the school, uh, I mean, Georgia Tech, obviously, Georgia Institute of Technology is, is famously a very, very good tech school. Anonymous says, hey, Ben, with the recent decision regarding affirmative action in college admissions, do you think it's likely this will spark a possibility of affirmative action being ta- challenged more broadly when it comes to employment? This appears to be a problem in law enforcement where the diverse candidate has been hired over the most qualified one. It's a large problem for multiple reasons, especially when it comes to the quality of today's police. As a police officer, my voice is silenced if I want to keep my job. If you talk about any issue publicly, you're guaranteed to be fired for violating policy. I'd appreciate insight. Love the show. Longtime DW subscriber. So I think that the case that would be made by cities in favor of racial diversity that could not be made in the case of, say, universities, is you'll hear cities making, I don't agree with this argument, by the way, they'll be making the argument that they need a lot of people who reflect the, the portions of the population where much of the crime is happening in order to generate trust. And the Supreme Court has said that there are situations in which race actually can be a consideration. Like, for example, if you have a prison and there's like a black prison gang and a white prison gang, separating them by race is not the worst thing in the world. It's actually necessary in order to preserve public safety. So you have to have a pretty strong rationale for doing so. However, are there going to be a lot of lawsuits like this? Absolutely. And there should be a lot of lawsuits like this. I I disagree on a fundamental level with the idea that police departments suddenly become better if they are staffed by more people of minority status. In fact, many of the police departments that have come come under fire recently, Baltimore, the the, uh, Louisville Police Department, New Orleans, a lot of these police, LA, these these are majority minority police departments, and they're still having the same sorts of issues. Christopher says, hey, Ben, it seems very clear that DeSantis has a logically better path to victory. While it's still very early, Trump has a commanding lead. I get the attraction of potentially getting to stick it to the Democrats with Trump. I feel like it's a high-risk situation that only causes more chaos. Do you think DeSantis will be able to make up that ground? If so, do you think it'll be a specific moment such as the debates that bring voters over? Well, I mean, Trump is saying right now he's not even sure he's going to participate in the debates, uh, which I think is um, his attempt to basically crown himself. Uh, But do I think DeSantis can make up the ground? Sure, it's only July. He's going to need to make some aggressive moves, though. I mean, I gave my advice the other day. I think that DeSantis really needs to go on something like George Stephanopoulos and just shellac him because that is really the skill set people are looking for. Not just good leadership, not just solid leadership. You got that from Brian Kemp. You got that from Glenn Youngkin. You got that from a bunch of Republican governors. The real question is, can you fight the media on their own ground? All righty, we've reached the end of this mailbag. So we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.